With that, turn your to uh, Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five. If you don't have a copy of God's word, there's some in the back. Uh, please help yourself to one of those. I'll be preaching from the ESV. I encourage you follow along. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians five. I'm going to read 22 through 33. We're really going to focus in on uh, the first uh, portion here, 22. Uh, through 24. We'll jump down. We'll read uh, 33 as well. And then we're actually going to look at Titus 2 for some application towards the end here. As we really look uh, here under this idea and this theme of the idea that a woman, a wife's job is to submit to her husband as to the Lord. So, Let me read this for us. I'm going to then pray, and then we will uh, go to God's word to see what he has to say for us. So Ephesians chapter 5, I will start in verse 22. Would you hear now the word of God? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let us pray and give thanks for God and his word. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your kindness towards us. I thank you, God, that you have not left us helpless uh, without instruction, but you have given us your word to guide and direct us uh, for now, here in this life as we prepare for the next. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would rest upon me as I uh, proclaim the truths of Scripture. I pray, Father, that... Uh, you would use me as a vessel to communicate your plan, your design for marriage. And I pray that everyone here would receive what your word has to say, that hearts would be open, uh, that pride, arrogance would not get in the way. I pray, Father, too, that you would use this time to draw sinners to repentance, uh, that even through this, as we look at the design of marriage that we would see the picture that is presented in the gospel. So we thank you, God. I pray for illumination of this text. So I simply ask what we know not you would teach us and what we 
are not, you would make us, and what we have not, you would give us by your grace for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So two weeks ago, we looked at the man's role in marriage. And when looking at God's word for us in this area, we learned that a husband's call is to lead with love. He is to lead his wife, his family, with love. There is no escaping leadership in this area. A man is automatically put in place of leadership when he marries a woman. He either leads well or he leads poorly, but he leads. He is automatically leading. And how do we know this? Well, we see in Ephesians 5, 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. There is no should be, could be. It says that he is. Even gives us here a comparative illustration. And he says, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So husbands lead their wives as Christ leads the church. I made the point that Being a husband is being a leader, a call to leadership with love. It's a sacrificial leadership. It is a loving leadership. We do the best we can for the family's good, not our own desires as husbands. I told you also that I do not think a man is ready to be married until that man is ready to be a leader. So singles, uh, young men that are looking to be married one day, uh, if you missed that sermon, I encourage you to just go back and listen to it, not because I had great things to say, but because we exegete the word of God here. And so this is what the word teaches us. So I encourage you to think through that as you uh, think about what being a husband looks like and who do they lead. Who are husbands called to lead? Well, first and foremost, their wives. Then the children, if the Lord should bless them in that way. And and then they they lead kind of jointly in a structure uh, to which God has given. And so we'll look at that, Lord willing, next week as we look at how children obey their parents, which is then in the plural. Children must be submissive to both parents, but they do this under the leadership of the husband. It is his opportunity, his duty to lead the family. Can he empower his wife to oversee certain areas? Absolutely. We'll talk about that more in a few moments. That is a good thing. We empower, we commission, we help. But a husband does not have the option to abdicate his role as a leader. It is automatic. So what does a wife now do with this? What does she do in her role and her understanding that God has given her a man to lead 
her. I mean, if, if God has given the husband the role to lead, it is his role given to him by the creator, the sovereign over all things. I think we must pay attention. And so with that, we must look at, so what does God say to women? What does God say to wives? How do these two roles work well together? If we want to help husbands be good leaders, then what should you do? The text tells us. Look there with me in verse 22. Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then jump down to 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So let's stop there. So here we see that a wife is called to submit to their husbands. Now, I know, right, many of you already, you hear that word submit, and it just makes you feel some type of way. You don't like the sound of that word. Maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable. It puts you on guard a little bit. Uh, many, for many, it, it stirs up some uh, sense of anxiety, maybe because you've witnessed unhealthy leadership, tyranny, uh, some of the things that I spoke against a couple of weeks ago. Uh, some maybe have uh, witnessed abuse uh, within their own home. Uh, maybe they have seen it, whether it was parents or whether done to themselves. Uh, some hear this word submission in this context, and they think it's old-fashioned. That's kind of the new uh, thing that's coming around, right? Oh, that was old-fashioned. That's that old 1950s stuff, right? Well, the women are just, they're, they're best off uh, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. And, and that is not what this teaches us. We must not buy into the false ideology that modern culture and that modern civilization has far removed itself from God's word. We've not, we cannot buy into this progressive idea that has really infiltrated the church even that says that God's word is old-fashioned for a different time. God has spoken, and that is it. And listen, God wrote down his words so we would not forget them. If you want somebody to know something, you want them to keep it you write it down. You give it to them in something that is kept secure so they will always remember what you have to say. And God has done that for us. He has given us his word to live by, to, to grow, to strengthen us, to, to guide us. And listen, we have a choice in this matter. We either obey or we disobey. I mean, that's the choice that we're given when it comes to God's word. We either obey it or we disobey it. I was reminded of Luke chapter 6 at Noah and Haley's wedding because that was kind of their staple verse that they wanted for their marriage. And so I spent a little time in the 
uh, ceremony, kind of exegeting what that text teaches. And what is happening there is Jesus has just finished, uh, well, Luke is recording Jesus' sermon, and he's given a sermon on the Christian life. And then he goes down to say in around verse 43, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but yet you fail to obey me? He said, let me tell you what it's like. For the man who does not obey, it's like building your house on nothing. You have no foundation. But the man who obeys, who hears and obeys, they build a foundation on solid ground. So, church, I ask you, will you obey God's word? Listen, ladies, I love you all. I, I take my role as your pastor very seriously. I, I know that one day I will answer to God for the words that I say, for the way that I care for you. I, I take Hebrews 13, 17 very serious, that we will give an account. Uh, this is something that all of our elders, we, we remind each other of this uh, just often, that we will give an account for the words, for the ways that we have led this congregation. And so my goal as a pastor is to help you to, to see Christ and to love God more, and in that love, learn to obey God more. Obedience to God, sanctification, pursuit of holiness. And my main goal today is to help you see that submission to your husband is obedience to God. So let me give us a definition here of what submission is. Biblical submission is the attitude and action of willingly and wholeheartedly respecting, yielding to, and obeying the authority of another. I'll say it again. Biblical submission is the attitude and action of willingly and wholeheartedly respecting, yielding to, and obeying the authority of another. Look back to our text here. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So we quickly get two specifications here about where this submission is to take place, how it is to take place. First, we see that it is to their own husbands. It's their own husband here. So listen, women are not to be subject and submissive to all men. Uh, we do not walk around men as if all women owe us something and should bend over backwards to make sure our felt needs are met. That's not how this works. The text says that we are to, to expect women to be submissive to their own husband. Uh, this is the same language used in Titus 2. Once again, I want you to turn there now, actually. Uh, Titus is a little bit uh, further down, a couple pages down in your Bible. And I want you to hold your place there, too, because like I said, we're going to go back to this later. But I just want to show us here, uh, again, this language that is used. Titus chapter 2, and you can jump down here to verse 5. Verse 5. 
So he's given instruction on how older women are to teach younger women. And what are the things that he says here? The last portion here, and submissive to what? Their own husbands. Their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So we see here that the submission of a wife, of a woman, is to the husband that God has given her. Everybody understand that? It is not to everyone. Uh, one pastor writes and comments here in this way. He says, the Bible does not require a universal submission of women to men or the necessary submission of any given woman to any given man. I'm going to stop right there. So if you're dating someone right now, you do not submit to that man until he becomes your husband. You stay submissive to your parents and your church. We'll talk about that more in a moment. He goes on, he says, the Bible requires women to be submissive to their own husbands, which is a protection against having to submit to men generally. Further, because no one can serve more than one authority, this scriptural teaching amounts to a prohibition of a woman submitting to other men. So, we see that there is specifications to this. Submission is for a wife, one woman, to a husband, one man. We also see here that the text tells us that they are to submit to one husband as to the Lord. Look there at the text. As to the Lord. So submission to the husband is submission to the Lord because that is what the Lord has commanded. And I know what some of you are thinking. Like, you don't know my husband. He couldn't lead his way out of a wet paper bag. He, he's a moron. He's just completely incompetent to do anything I ask him to do. I mean, he's just, you know, he's just worthless. And listen, you married him. So you've now entered into this covenant agreement that now you have to submit to this man and follow his leadership. Because why? Because that's what God commands. That's what he says. There is no asterisk in my Bible. There is no uh, footnote here in any of the good translations. This is God's word to us, for us. Whatever your husband's limitations may be, this text teaches us that you do not have the authority to usurp his authority because it is the Lord who commands your submission to him, not the husband. See, men can never cause their wives to submit. It's nothing that we can ever make our wives do. We cannot even, we're not even instructed to teach our wives to submit. Uh, actually, older women are. Once again, we're going to get to Titus 2 here. That's why we get some 
specific instructions. Now, can we always point back to God's word? But listen, the moment you pull the you need to submit to me card, you're probably not leading well. You're probably not leading well. If you have to constantly remind someone that you're the leader, you're not leading well. But we're called here. We're shown. It's very instructive here that submission to a husband is for a wife is related to their submission to God. Remember, I, uh, I think the first sermon we talked about kind of God's design for marriage here. Uh, we talked about how the closer, think of a, a marriage as a triangle. The wife and the husband on the bottom ends here. Jesus at the top. And the closer they get to God, the closer they get to one another. And so that's why our personal pursuit of holiness matters. It matters because the closer you are to understanding God, his, his uh, will for you, his, his love for you, his sacrifice for you, the easier it is to trust that he has your best intentions at hand. In weddings, I always remind the wife that her husband will fail to lead them well at times. If I've officiated your wedding, you're probably smiling now because I always remind them that, yes, look, they are vowing to do these things, but guess what? They will do them imperfectly. They will fail at times. Listen, you can ask my wife, and she will give you a long list of failures of mine. There are plenty. But that does not change the reality that God has instructed her to submit. And just because the role may not be working out the way that they had in mind, listen, that does not give us the right to then discredit, neglect, or change the roles that God has given us in Scripture. See, disappointing experiences are never valid reasons to disobey God. We can't do it. We can't say, well, God, this just isn't working out the way that I thought it was going to work out. So I'm going to just kind of switch a rooski here, and we're going to just kind of make it where I'm running the show, and I command everything, and they're at my beck and call for anything I need and want. God says, I will not have any of that. And once again, why? Because we model Christ and the church. We model in our marriages the gospel. We model the gospel. We say this is God's plan. And why do you think Paul writes this here? Uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Why, why does Paul put this as to the Lord here? Well, I believe because he knows the effects of sin on women. If we look back and think back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, the curse, right, the fall of man. If you remember, what were the effects towards women specifically? 
I'll read them for you. In 3.16, to the woman, he, God, said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Ladies, you can thank your mother Eve for that one. And then he goes on to say, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So what this means here is that there will be this tug of war. There will be a natural uh, sin within a wife to say, I want to do things my way. I think I have a smarter plan. This guy's an idiot. And so now I've got to figure this thing out. We've got some different goals for our family. We may have different ideas for the family. And listen, we'll we'll talk about that. Husband and wives, we, we talk about those things. But ultimately, what we see here is that there's a natural, innate desire for the wife to rule over the man. So this is why I believe Paul says, you submit as to the Lord. You you submit not just to him, you submit because it is to the Lord. He wants to make sure that women know that the sinful desire of ruling over their husbands will wage war on their flesh. But he says, you are submitting to the Lord when you submit to your husband. And listen, let me just clarify, too. This is not a matter of value here. This is not a matter of worth. This is a matter of order. God has given us an order. If you think about even the fall, uh, Vodi Bakum is very helpful here. It's where I got this illustration, so I'll, I'll credit him with it. But you think about the fall. You think about creation, right? So God creates man first. He then creates woman out of man He tells them to have dominion over the land, the animals, cultivate the earth. You take dominion over the the plants, the tree. You, You do things. You cultivate. You have dominion. So we've got God, man, woman, earth, animals. What happens in the fall? We have Satan come to in the form of an animal using fruit from trees, going to the woman who then tricks the man, who then disobeys God. We have creative order upside down. We have the fall saying, I'm not going to do things the way that God instructed. I'm going to come in, usurp the authority of the creator, and do things that I want. And we all now feel the effects of this. But see, God has instructed us to have order. And in this here, we must note that we are all equal in worth. We're all equal in value. The Imago Dei is, is for all humans, regardless of their gender, regardless of their Uh, inabilities. It does not matter 
who you are. You were made in the image of God. But there are responsibilities given to a man that were not meant for the woman. There are responsibilities given to the woman that were not meant for man. No matter how hard men try, they cannot have babies. I know there's a lot of people telling you different, but it's not true. So because of this, a wife must willingly submit to his authority just as it were the Lord's. But this also teaches that the husband is not the ultimate authority. Not the ultimate authority. And let me explain this. God is the ultimate authority. God is the ultimate authority. So if a husband is telling a wife to do something that disobeys God or causes her to sin against God, she must respectfully decline. She must say, no, I cannot do that because my submission is to the Lord, as to the Lord. It is him first. He's put you here, but I cannot go against what God says in order to serve you. She must always choose God over husband. Uh, The same pastor that I referenced earlier is helpful here. He says, quote, Scripture does not require a new absolute submission to her husband. No authority in this fallen world is absolute and includes the authority of a husband. When the authority of a husband is wrong, a wife should receive the help of fathers, brothers, friends, and or elders to help her stand up against it. He also says, I have been involved in this sort of intervention more than once. So if you are in an abusive relationship, you're in a relationship that uh, someone is causing you harm, is asking you to do things or doing things to you that contradicts God's word, that is the safety net or that is what the safety net of the church is for. You come to your elders because your husband then must submit to the elders of the church. That is what scripture teaches us. So this is not some authoritarian, tyrannical rule that men are now allowed to have over their wives. We see that the Lord has put the husband in place, and a woman is to submit as long as it does not contradict God. There's an example next in this, verse 23. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, listen, this is the reason why this new idea, too, of mutual submission just doesn't work. This idea that we're mutually submissive to one another in a marriage It doesn't fly because the example we are given here is that the wife submits to Christ as, or to the husband as the church submits to Christ. And there is no mutual submission going on within that illustration. Furthermore, we never see anywhere else in Scripture 
that says that a man should submit to their wives. Uh, I'll read a couple of these passages for us. 1 Peter 3.1. So this is Peter writing, different uh, context, uh, different uh, culture, people. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Again, we see that own husbands there. And then he goes on here to say, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And he's speaking here to a lot of, uh, in this time, uh, the church was just becoming widespread. So people were getting converted. And oftentimes what would happen is the wife would come to faith first. And so he says, no, you don't now disobey and uh, annul your uh, marriage because you've now gotten saved. He says, no, you love Respect, submit to your wife that he may be won by your submission. So this is even further instruction for those that may not feel as if their husband is a leadership quality. We see here that even if they're not following God's word, they're not even converted here in this text. We go on to read in Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Once again, Titus 2.5, be submissive to their own husbands. So we, we see nowhere else in Scripture that says that men are submissive to the wives and there should be a mutual submission. Now within the church, a little bit above this in Ephesians chapter 5, we are told within the body of Christ, we are equally submissive to one another. We, we care for one another. We, we submit, we serve one another in a way that we, we do not uh, put ourselves above anyone. But that's a different sphere of responsibility. Within the home, we see a different set of instructions here. And how are they to do this? How are wives, in what way and where should they do it? Look at verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in what? Look at the text. Everything. Everything to their husbands. So they submit to them in all things. So what does submission mean? I want to give us just a couple of practical uh, examples here. Uh, just some Three things, I'm going to have three things of what uh, submission is, three things that it's not, okay? This is not exhaustive by any means, but I just want to be helpful, give you a little bit of a framework here. So one, submission is respecting your husband. Uh, we see that in verse 33, right? And let the wife see that she, what, respects her husband. It's a lot, listen, ladies, it is a lot easier for men to lead well when they have the respect of their wife. I mean, that's something, I, when I'm doing marriage counseling, sometimes it's 
one of the things that, that men constantly bring up is, like, my, I don't feel like my wife respects me. And what, the woman, I don't feel like she loves me. And then you get in the crazy, the chaos cycle, right? And they're not giving love, they're not giving respect, and you just button heads, and it's just chaos. But wives are called to respect their husbands. Listen, as men, we get beat up a lot in the world, and that's all right because we're, we're built that way. We're supposed to. That's why we're supposed to be out working and cultivating and doing hard work and protecting, preserving. But, man, when we go home, we need refuge. We need love. We need respect from our wives. We need them to, to say, uh, babe, I, I know you've had a rough day, and I'm here for you. I love you. And what we're to do is, I know you've had a rough day, especially if you've got some kids in that house. Let me help you, right? And so you get this kind of interchange here. And so you, you see this kind of way that, that the marriage works. Husbands, it's a lot easier for your wife to respect you when you're loving her well. I won't dwell too much on that. I beat you guys up a couple weeks ago. Second, we see that submission is loving your husband. And this kind of plays out as like for women, especially a desire to please your husband, a desire to, to help him accomplish, to, to love him and to, you know, if he has a favorite meal, you make it for him. If he likes something one way, you, you, you help him in that area. You, you just, you love, you care, you support Third, submission is allowing your husband to lead as God designed. Allowing him to lead. Too many women are manipulative where they get their husband to do what they want by manipulative tactics. That's why Paul even gives instruction about not using uh, the marriage bed as a tool for I'm going to get what I want by not giving you what you want. He says, don't do that. He says, you cannot manipulate your man. That's, that's usurping God's authority over your home, God's placement, the husband in your life. It's also, for many uh, they need to be reminded it's not bossing your husband around all the time. He's not your slave. Husbands, your wife isn't your slave either. You mutually work together within the home to accomplish what's needed to get done holistically. But when we say a husband is to sacrifice and to love his wife like Christ loves the church, that doesn't mean that they're supposed to just uh, bend over and, and for every single need that our felt need, especially that their wife may have. Some needs and feelings are wrong, and they need to be called out on that lovingly. But it's not manipulating. It's not bossing your husband around to suit your desires. We let them lead. We encourage, or you, I'm not a wife, you encourage them to lead. When you see them do something well, you, you give them encouragement about it. 
You say, that was great. I really appreciate it. You don't nitpick every wrong thing that they do. Listen, I've seen that too many times where, you know, a husband gets so afraid to do anything because they're so worried about what their wife's going to say about it. They plan a date. It wasn't good enough. They buy something. Wasn't nice enough. They, whatever the case may be, ladies, that only puts your man in a box and leads to passivity. So you will never get what you want by feeding into and investing into that relational equity. You must encourage the relational equity. What the, the deposits you want to make are deposits of love and respect. That's the deposits. Every time you discourage or bicker about nonsense, you are withdrawing relational equity faster than you could ever accumulate it. And that's always the pleading for men. Now, once again, can a husband employ his wife to a specific tasks? There are many things that my wife does a lot better than I do. Many things. And she oversees them. I've entrusted her. We talk about them. I make sure that these are all within uh, our design and our goal and our philosophy, our mission as a family. But there are many things that she oversees specifically. She buys her groceries. I've talked about this before. I don't said, I try not to set foot in a grocery store. She'll give me a list of three things. I come out with 30, right? Well, I just thought we needed this. She's like, we don't need any of that. Like, so that's good. She can handle that. Uh, she, we homeschool our kids. She does the brunt of that. She oversees that. She does that really well. She's our in-house uh, doctor, physician. When I'm sick, I'm just like, babe, what, she's got some stuff, right? And I'm just like, I'll take it, whatever. And that's good. That's how complementarianism works that you, you put people around you that in any position, right? You, you want people around you that do, things, that do things well that you don't do well. And so the same thing happens within a marriage. We can't do the same things, right? I've heard it said before, right? Anything with two heads is what? A monster. So someone has to be the head. Someone has to be the submissive follower. Here's what submission is not. Three things that it is not. So ladies, here's what it's not. It's not, as I said, suffering abuse. It is not suffering abuse. Like I said, that's the importance of a healthy church. You tell your elders, you seek help and counsel. Lord willing, you wouldn't let it get there. So when you start having problems, you, you come for counsel and you, we talk about it. We figure out what needs to happen. We make adjustments. That's why we're here. Our, your elders are not just here to come and just preach. I mean, this is where a lot of counseling happens. But we have, you, you pay me full time to spend time with you. And that's the goal. So it's not suffering abuse. Uh, another thing it's not, it's not losing your identity. You don't just become a shell of a person and just whatever they want, right? You ever see those women that are just kind of shadows behind their husbands? 
We've all seen them. And that's not what this is calling for here. You don't lose your identity. You don't just become uh, someone else to, to suit their needs. No, you still have your personality. You still have who you are. All the while growing in sanctification. All the while changing. You hear many people like, this just isn't the person I married 10 years ago. Well, I hope not. It's been 10 years. I hope they've changed some. We want to grow in sanctification. Uh, third, another thing that submission is not, it's not never sharing your desires. All you English majors, don't beat me up for that one. Not never. It's not never sharing your desires, right? We, we talk about things. I, my, I tell my wife all the time, like, my yes is on the table, right? When she comes to me with something, like, I want to have my yes on the table. It, it's going to take a lot for me to take it off, right? For me to actually say, no, actually, that's a bad. I want to try to make things work. My wife is a godly woman. She, I don't even remember a time she's come to me with a horrible idea that was not godly and I had to shut it down, right? That's the importance, young men, of finding a godly woman, not a harlot. You know, godly woman that loves God and loves God's word. If she's given herself to you in certain ways, she is not that. You need this. You need a woman that will trust God. So it's not suffering abuse. It's not losing your identity. And it's not never sharing your desires. Work together to work towards a common goal. Uh, Families, if you don't have a, a mission as a family, find one, right? Figure out, get on the same page. Say, like, this is what we want to see five years, 10 years. We want to make sure that we are working together to reach a common goal. Get on the same page with these things. So I want to just close now with uh, just Titus 2 as application for our church, okay? So how can we continue to remind ourselves of these truths? How can we work together as a church? Turn there with me, Titus 2. Now, you know, we've, within our church, we have some women's ministry. And I use quotes because I don't even love the term there. Uh, because women's ministry oftentimes uh, turns into doing something other than what the Bible instructs. Uh, we've had conversations within our uh, women's ministry and the gatherings that happen, the fellowship that happens there, is that if it's not doing what Titus 2 teaches it to do, teaches women to do, then it's not biblical women's ministry. Okay? So we have instructions here on what women's ministry is supposed to look like, what should happen. So let's just walk through these real quick here. And we will just make sure that we're all on the same page and we can then... This, once again, this will be our church's aim, our goal. So in Titus 2, starting in verse 3, he says, starts with some instructions for the older women here. And my wife and I were talking on the way back from Michigan yesterday, and uh, we were just naming some of the older women in our church. We're like, man, we've we've got, there's just some great women here that have so much to give to the younger women of our church. And 
I mean, I'm continually encouraged by this. And he starts off here and he says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. So they need to be reverent, right? Older ladies, model this. Model reverence to the Lord. Model reverence in your home to your, to your family. It says they're not to be slanders or slaves to much wine. I mean, that speaks for itself, right? I mean, how can you ever teach others if you are constantly intoxicated by the things of the world, wine or other things, social media? If I was writing this today, I'd add in, don't be uh, slaves to social media. Always, what are they doing? What the comparison, right? Some of y'all need to just, just delete it, get off of it. Just deactivate, delete the app. Never turn back. All right. So, but what do these older women do? They serve the church. So, ladies, older women, your job is to serve the church. Your experiences can help others that have not yet experienced it. We need you, ladies. We need you. And it says they are to teach what is good. Listen, the the church, if you haven't realized it yet, the church is a sanctification factory. All right? Write that down. Think about it later. It's a sanctification factory. Our goal is to be working together. So is marriage. It's a, a sanctification factory as well, but the church is as well. So older women are to teach the younger, and they're to teach them what? What does the text say? What is good? And there are six things that we're given here that they are to teach. We're going to walk through these very quickly. One, look at verse four. They are to train the young women to love their husbands and children. So it's very simple. But what's not simple is why they must learn this. Why should they learn? Why do they have to be taught this to to love their husbands and their children? Well, simply put, because sometimes we're unlovable. It's hard to love us sometimes. But older women are instructed here, teach the younger. Younger women, wives, this is a call to do this. Second, to teach them to be self-controlled. Self-controlled. Now listen, self-control is one of the most important areas of our lives. Uh, This is for everyone in here. I I try to teach our kids this at an early age. Like, if you can learn self-control, you you can really have a lot of victory over a lot of things in your life, especially areas of sin. And listen, self-control starts with the mind. Starts with the mind. Remember, Scripture tells us we're to be constantly renewing our mind. We're to hold every thought captive. Say, ah, does that align with God's word? No, nah, let me look. Nope, that's a wrong thought. We got to talk. Martin Lloyd Jones, right? He once said uh, in a, a book, uh, Spiritual uh, Depression, um, he, he says that we need to spend more time talking to ourselves. Okay? Now, it sounds weird, but what he's saying here is that. When we hear these thoughts in our minds, we need to speak Scripture back to them. 
need to remind ourselves that is not. So if you're battling with whatever, fill in the blank, what is your combat strategy against that? It needs to be the word. I've stored my, your word in my heart so that what? I might not sin against you. That's how we battle this. Jerry Bridges, who wrote The Practice of Godliness, wrote uh, this. He says, our minds are mental greenhouses where unlawful thoughts, once planted, are nurtured and watered before being transplanted into the real world of unlawful actions. These actions are savored in the mind long before they are enjoyed in reality. The thought life, then, is our first line of defense in the battle of self-control. End quote. I could spend more time there, but for the sake of time, I will not. Third, we see that they are to teach younger women how to be pure. Now, listen, we talk a lot about purity before marriage, but this is a continued purity that is given here. Continued purity. There's a lot of application there. But the question needs to be, how is your purity, ladies? What is your thought life? What are you looking at? What are you even watching on TV? Like these things, these shows out here today, these romance, nonsense, Bachelor, and like, man, it's, it's filling your head with nonsense, nonsensical ideas of relationships that infiltrate and depurify your minds. Leave that stuff alone. Because then, oh, well, he's not loving me like Bob, the builder. I don't even know, right? <laughs> I don't watch this junk. I stay away from it. My wife does too. Like, you know, oh, he, they did this, and he got the rose and the kiss. Google how many of those marriages actually last, right? Like, come on. It's foolish. They're making money. They want, they want your attention because they want your money. It's all they want. Don't sell your soul. All right, let me move on. All right, fourth, we see that they're to be taught to work at home. Uh, some of y'all are like, whoa, all right, here we go. Listen, the scripture says this. This is an instruction from God. Okay? So here's a little bit of what it means. It means that the home should be the center of of your priorities. It does not mean that you can never work outside of the home. It doesn't mean that you can never have any life outside of the home. Some of you that work in the home, uh, same thing, right? Like work in the home in, in terms of remote work for another company. Uh, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you can never do anything. You're just chained to the house and the baseboards better be clean every single day. It's not what this is saying. What it says and what it means is that the central focus of your life, listen, ladies, the central focus of your life is not your career, it's not your looks, it's not your friends, it is your home. You must work inside the home. So, I'm going to throw one out there, might as well, right? If your job is a job, that pulls you away from your main responsibility, it may not be the right job. I'll leave that for y'all to talk about later. <clears throat> but listen, think about here even the Proverbs 31 woman. 
I'll just read this real quick. She looks well to the ways of her household. This is starting in verse 27. So she looks well to the what? The ways. This is after we've already been told that she does a lot of things. She's in the real estate. She's got vineyards. She's doing all these great things. She's an industrious woman. My wife gave me that word for her. Like she, she, she's talking about it. We were talking about it on the way back. She's like, she's just industrious, right? She takes what she has and she just makes more of it. I mean, it's just a beautiful picture of what a woman is to be. And uh, here's what it says. It does not eat the bread of idleness, right? So are you sitting around doing nothing? It says on 28, uh, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but baby, you surpass them all. Hey, you're the one, girl. Husbands, that's what we need to be telling our wives a lot. Like, you're the one. Mm, my wife. Love her. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. That's why we don't just marry because of that. But a woman who what? Fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. I mean, come on now. I mean, what woman would not want that type of acknowledgement from her husband, from the Lord. I mean, that's a beautiful picture. And once again, why is this so hard? Because many have bought into the lies of feminism that say a woman's worth is in their education and their careers. Now, listen, I'm just going to just say that's a lie from the pits of hell. Um, I do believe women should be educated, absolutely, right? Don't get me wrong on that. But listen, we have to make sure, listen, fathers, we're not setting our daughters up for failure. And here's what I mean. So sometimes we've got this idea, we're painting this picture that the only way that they're going to accomplish anything is by going to a university and getting an education. And so we ship them off to a college and we say, hey, go get classes, get all this debt, and then be enslaved to corporate America for the next 20 years so you can maybe pay it off. And then maybe you'll find a godly husband that actually subscribes to the things of God, that a woman's first priority is the home, and, and then he'll take on all your debt. Listen, brothers, we got we to gotta do well to, to trust the things of God's word and say, this is the best way. Once again, I'm not saying that women should not go to college, should not be educated. We just need to think more clearly on how we do these things. Okay? We often, we, we're buying into the world systems and we're just jumping in saying, shoot, I'll, I'll go down the slide. Rather than saying, let me think about this practically, biblically, and how should this actually be played out. Fifth, he says they need to teach them to be kind. And kind, gentle women are harder to find these days, aren't they? Got a bunch of Karens running around, calling themselves Christians. That's a whole other thing. And then once again, we see submissive, submissive to their husbands. And that's where we will close. We were called, 
the women are called to be submissive to their husbands and why? That the word of God may not be reviled. So that is the point, right? We want to honor God as Christians. Amen? Amen? We want to honor God. So we preach to a cynical world that God's ways are best. We, we preach to our children God's ways are best. We, we preach to our church God's ways are best. And when we do this, the glories of the gospel are enhanced. We show that in all things, Christ is our sure and steady anchor. I will rest on him. His ways are higher than mine. And I will trust that he will bring me through safely to the other side. So single men looking for a wife, just leave you with a word of encouragement. Like I said, find a woman that is submissive to her fathers or church. Find that type of woman. Find a woman that can do these things. And yes, there are exceptions. We've already spoken about that. Know that some of you all are in very difficult situations, but generally applied. And women, ask yourself, are you obeying God's call to submissiveness? Think about your home. Think about your marriage. Are you obeying God's word? And remember that God's plan is for our good. I'll leave with this. Deuteronomy 6.24, the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. So we will go to the Lord in prayer now as the band makes their way back to the stage to lead us in a closing song. And as they're making their way up here, I just want you to just take a moment and think about where you are. Men, uh, are you... Leading, loving, well, women, are you submissive? Are you unruly? Are you combative all the time? Young, desiring to be married, who have you been looking for? Take a moment to think about that, and then I'll close with prayer, and then we will sing closing song. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for your kindness towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So help us to model the gospel to the watching world as we uh, attempt to have God-honoring marriages that fit within the bounds of your word, not our own desires. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.